test uh, board meeting of, of the year. Uh, let me call the meeting to order. This is the Federated City Employees Retirement System and Healthcare Trust meeting for December 2023. Uh, we will do a roll call um, to see who is here. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Here. Uh, Trustee Abbott. Here. Trustee Avasti. Here. Welcome back. Trustee Chandra, I understand, is absent. Uh, Trustee Faulkner. Here. Great. And Trustee Linda. Here. I believe we have quorum. Um, so if I may qualify, uh, Trustee Jennings and uh, Trustee Faulkner, please. So Trustee Jennings, I'll start with you. Can, can you please provide the address from where you are teleconferencing from? 855 East Hilton Drive, Boulder Creek, California. And is and the location from where you're teleconferencing ADA accessible and open to the public? Yes. Can a member of the public be heard by us from your location? Yes. And have you posted the agenda from the location you're teleconferencing from? from? Yes. Trustee Jennings has been qualified under the traditional Brownack rules for teleconferencing. Trustee Faulkner, um, are you teleconferencing from the address of 420 Star Hill Drive, uh, Cape Car Carteret, uh, North Carolina. That is correct. And is the location from where you're teleconferencing from ADA accessible and open to the public? Yes, it is. And can a member of the public be heard by us at your location? Yes. And have you posted the agenda at the location where it can be publicly seen? Yes. Uh, Trustee Faulkner has been qualified under the traditional teleconferencing rules for the Brown Act. Very good. Thank you, Council Chen. Um, uh, uh, just cause AB 244, uh, uh, I believe that's what we've just done. A few ground rules, all votes, as this is a hybrid meeting, will be roll call votes. Um, there are some changes in the orders of the day. Uh, under section six, new business, item 6G will be heard first before items 6E and 6F. Audit committee item 7.2B will be heard after item 6G. And uh, just pointing out that the joint personnel committee meeting is scheduled for tomorrow at 9 a.m. Um, do we need it? Yeah, uh, December 22nd. Do we have a motion to approve the orders of the day? So moved, Mr. Chair. Thank you. That's Trustee Linder. Is there a second? I'll second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Any uh, discussion? Any public comment? Hearing none, we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Okay, it passes. It passes. We will move forward to uh, Waving Sunshine. There were some attachments that were posted late. One is a new, the new business item uh, 6G, a discussion and action to approve Macias, Ginny, and O'Connell uh, agreed upon procedures report. And secondly, the audit committee item 7.2B, discussion and action for approval of the Federated City Employees Retirement System compre annual comprehensive financial reports. Uh, do we have a motion to waive sunshine? So moved. We have a motion from Trustee Linder. Do we have a second? I'll second. Second from Trustee Abbott. Any uh, discussion, any public comments? Hearing none, 
Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, how do you vote? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Vasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Uh, that is approved. At this time, uh, members of the public may comment on items not included on the agenda, provided that the matter is within the subject matter jurisdiction of this board. Members of the public who wish to provide comment at this time may do so by raising their hand on the Zoom app uh, or uh, if joining by telephone by pressing star 9 on their telephone or if they're here present. Uh, speakers will be limited to three minutes. In addition, public comment and items listed on the agenda will be taken at the time the item is addressed uh, at this meeting. Is there anyone waiting online for public comment? I'm seeing no and there is no one here and so we will move forward to the uh, consent calendar. Is there any item that anyone, uh, board or staff member, would like to <coughs> pull from the consent calendar? Seeing none, so uh, we also need a motion to approve the consent calendar. Do we have such a motion? Mr. Chair, I will move to approve the consent calendar. Okay, thank you, Trustee Linder. I believe that's the hat trick, three for three. Do yeah. we have a second? Second. And we have a second, the hat trick for Trustee Sorry. Abbott. <laughs> Uh, any public comment? Any uh, any uh, objection? We will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Uh, Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye. It passes. So we will now proceed with the agenda. And it appears the first item on the agenda is closed session. So we will uh, convene, reconvene to the closed session room. Mr. Chair, did you approve the disability application? You usually do ask to come up in closed session, or? Uh, I believe it's, isn't, is that either a part of the consent calendar? Well, that's what I thought, but then here I realized the consent calendar starts with number two, so we have to make sure that they start, consent calendar I see. start with one, so. Well, right, we've taken it out of order, So, but I guess the question here is for the two applicants, um, do we have them present? Or are they going to be presenting no, or not? No, they are on consent. This, this matters, oh, those two. And they're told that if there are any questions, we'll have to bring the item back for discussion and that they were invited. They were invited to okay, the they wanted to, but they didn't have to. I, I see. see. Um, well, we can, uh, we can approve those applications for change now before we go to closed session. Do, we, do we have such a motion? This is item one now, application for change in status for service-connected disability, and there are two uh, sub-items, A and B, two different people um, with recommended, we have the recommendations from the Disability Committee. So do we have a motion then to approve those denials? Mm -hmm. I think you had. Trustee Jennings. Yeah. I'm sorry? Okay, sorry, I didn't hear you. Vice Chair uh, Jennings is a motion. Do we have a second? Second. And second from Trustee Faulkner. Is there any public discussion and any comment from trustees? Just to know, uh, Mr. Chair, that the Disability Committee did discuss this, uh, worked with the staff on this, worked with anybody who was present, mm -hmm. and we are recommending denial on both of these. Okay, thank you for your work on that. Um, so then hearing no further comment, we will uh, vote. Vice Chair Jennings. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Vasti? Aye. Uh, Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well. 
So those applications uh, are denied. So now we will move to item uh, II, which is closed session for new business deferred continuing items. So let us retreat to our closed session room. And Thanks. Mr. Chair, are you going to take the two closed session items in the order they appear? Um, is there any reason not to? I'm not sure if the um, the city information security officer yeah, is we'll attending later, to be. So, yeah. Oh, later. Okay. So, okay. So we'll take them in order. A, a first, then B. Okay. okay. I will. I will stay recused for the first item, and then once that item has concluded, if someone can please get me. We will land. Thank okay. you. Okay.
sessions are getting longer and longer. Uh, I believe the next agenda item is number three, death Recording and in progress. Thank you, death and survivorship. Uh, we will observe a moment of silence for those who have served the city and who have passed. Okay, thank you. And, uh, 
Chair Holowitz, before we move on, I just want to note for the record that Reed Smith has recused ourselves from closed item 2A. That is correct. Thank you. Um, and there's no reportable actions out of either correct. closed uh, session item. As, as I, I can't speak for the first one, at least for with Trust respect me. to closed session 2B, no, there's no reportable action. Yeah. Um, on to item number four, investments. Uh, for a an oral update from our CIO, Mr. Polani. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, trustees. On this, the shortest day of the year, uh, we do have a somewhat of a longer investment mm -hmm. uh, piece. We're going to consume so much more daylight hours. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Adds to my seasonal affective disorder. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, unless you have questions, uh, I'm going to actually invite. Uh, I believe we have Casey, Casey uh, from Newberger uh, to present 4B. This is the fiscal first quarter performance review, the third quarter of the calendar year. And of course, as you all know, private equity, uh, private markets lag by one quarter. So in terms of private markets, it will be as of June 30th, but the overall performance will be as of September 30th. Um, Did you want to update us on the latest uh, status of the uh, program as of a day or two ago as you usually oh know. yeah yeah uh, yeah for what it's worth are we uh, making money we are making money mm -hmm. thanks to mr. Powell mm -hmm. and as of two days ago I believe the plan was up 3.68 percent fiscal year to date and the healthcare trust I believe was up 3.24 percent again these are not exact numbers but directionally you know you know the market's up uh, and so this is good we're inching closer to our um, discount rate. Absolutely. But there's just a lot of time left okay, between now and June 30th. Keep pedaling. Yes, yes, we will keep praying to St. Powell. Uh, with that, sir, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to invite Casey Boyer. Thank you. Um, it's nice to be here. Always appreciate the opportunity to give you an update. I am going to share my screen. Maybe make it a little bit uh, bigger so everyone can see. Um, great. As, as he mentioned, we are going to be discussing and going through today Q2 information. Um, for the private equity strategic partnership that we have. Um, and I'll start a little bit more broadly and um, try to be pretty effective and efficient with, with your time. Um, Q2, the last couple times I've come on here, I've said a similar message, which is everything is pretty much the same. So the difference between Q1 and Q2 was very minimal. If you look at the net multiple and return, um, it went from 1.82 in Q1 to 1.84 in Q2. So not a lot of movement across the board. Private equity held very steady and performance valuations were around par for Q2. This year, 2023 in general, has been similar to that message. 
what has slowed down our distributions and realizations across the board um, and slightly within your portfolio. Although I would say in certain instances, we have seen positive realizations and we have been able to distribute some capital. So you'll see for Q2, um, you have uh, distributions of 45.1 post Q2. Um, we made two separate distributions, one in Q, one in October and one in December, which accounted for um, a little over seven million. So you are starting to see some capital back, um, and hopefully that will continue into 2024. As a market, we are expecting uh, distributions, realizations within private equity overall to be more than they were in 2023, which would be nice because in 2023, they were very low to historical numbers. In terms of performance expectations for Q3, um, as I mentioned, I think it will be quite similar. Um, valuations will probably be uh, more of the same and, and hopefully we'll see some of those additional distributions. I'm going to go um, to uh, the performance analysis page here in the back and just go a little bit more into detail on the performance, um, both at a gross basis, which um, is the performance of the actual investments, and then at a net basis. Um, so we like to look at the performance by each investment type, primary, secondaries, and co-investments. Um, again, a lot of these numbers did not change a lot from Q1, but it is nice to see how each one of them is contributing to the portfolio. Primaries will still very much develop over time. We're still consistently committing capital within the program. And so those primary funds will continue to invest over time um, and have different time horizons. So you'll continue to see this, uh, this number build over time. Secondaries have done well. Um, secondaries are meant to produce early distributions, which you can tell from the gross TPI they have done. They've returned um, uh, one and, and a quarter times back um, already to the program. And then co-investments are really a shotgun approach to get gaining exposures to companies um, with um, high expectations. So the TVPI and return generation within co-investments is something we want to see higher than the rest of the portfolio, which again is happening. When we look at the bottom net performance benchmarking, this is comparing your uh, private equity program with Newberger to peers. Um, you can see we're showing the Q2 numbers, as I mentioned, and then the Q1 numbers, which are very much similar from quarter to quarter, not a lot of change. Um, and then how your portfolio is benchmarking against peers with a first quartile benchmark on IRR and a second quartile benchmark on TVPI. Again, those could always change over time, um, but 
happy with where the performance is to date, um, hoping to see more distributions and valuation uplift in 2024. Um, and that the, the realizations really is the expectation that we should be receiving more distributions, although very unclear how much um, uplift that will be. So um, I will pause there and, and open it up to any questions. I have a, I have a quick, quick question. question. Benchmark first quartile 22.87%. Is that the average for the quartile or the threshold above which one is in the quartile? That's the threshold. So if you're there or above, you are first quartile. Okay, so we're slightly above the threshold. We are slightly, we just barely made it. Okay. Any questions from other trustees? And in terms of the um, point two nine. Um, DPI for primary. Is that about what you expected? Because you said that that'll be going up in the future. Or is that, um, it seems low compared to the other ones, and I know that that's because it's a relatively young investment, but I just was curious about that. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it, primaries take longer to deploy capital. Those primary investments and those fund investments that we're making they're investing into companies over two, three, four years. So if they're making an investment in year four, we very well may not get capital back from them until year eight, nine, or 10. Also on top of that is our, in our program, we are also making new primary commitments to primary funds. And so we're always going to have a level of capital that still hasn't even been invested and therefore distributions won't have happened. So um, that number is to be expected when it's in a portfolio like this that's continuing to commit over time. Any other questions from trustees? By the way, just checking our two trustees who are uh, joining us remotely, are they online with us? Okay. Yes. Great. Uh, okay, let's move forward with the presentation. Okay. Thank you, Casey. Uh, with that, before C, and I'd like to invite Laura Weirich. wanted to commend this board for you know, continuing your dedication to the participants. I noticed when I was looking up the agenda yesterday that all other city meetings for today were canceled, likely with the holiday coming up. So yep. I think the participants are lucky to have you all looking out for them a few days before um, the holidays. Just no rest for the wicked. <laughs> <laughs> so, and now I see that my Zoom has already kicked me off. If any, are you guys able to share the presentation or should I join back on? It was there a minute ago. Try to log back on as well. I can log back in. All right. Sorry for the delay.
Recording in progress. Okay, so I will share my screen. So first we have the public version of the private markets report. Sorry for the technical difficulties here. internet is uh, letting you down. Here we go. Finally. Sorry about that. Okay, so I will be quick in the interest of time after that delay. If we take a look at page one, you can see the total on the far right internal rates of return in the second from right column for each of your individual private markets programs relative to a public markets equivalent. There are a lot of different ways to, uh, to look at your private markets performance relative to benchmarks and peer universes, but a pu public markets equivalent I think is a pretty pure one in terms of um, taking the same amount of money that each private markets partnership called at the same time that it called and putting it into a public index, and then the amounts that are distributed, taking it out of that public index. So if you take a look at the IRRs of each of your private markets programs on the second from right column, relative to the public markets equivalent in the right column, you can see that every program that you have is outperforming since inception relative to a public markets equivalent. Then the first program that I'll briefly talk about is the private debt program which as of the end of June stood at 4.3% of your total plan, which was uh, slightly above the 3% policy target. There was one new commitment during the quarter, Octagon Fund 5 in the amount of $8 million. And we can look at performance by vintage year and strategy. So you can see here that a few of these um, funds were from 2010. Those are sort of um, a higher weight in the program. But if we look at the recently committed funds um, under your current investment staff and we look on the far right at the IRRs relative to the peer IRRs for peer universes, the source being a widely used peer universe uh, benchmark called Burgess, you can see that these funds are generally outperforming. I have a question on page sure. four. Yes. So I'm curious about why the nearer term, the, 20 and 20, the 2020 and 2021, um, have a lower um, TVPI than, than the ones from 2016 to 2019. Yeah, I think um, the commitment to Eagle Point that you see on 2020, um, uh -huh. uh, if you take a look, is at 3.6 relative to 9.5. Yeah. Eagle Point had some fixed rate loan exposure that didn't adjust with rising interest rates. That's one okay. reason that they're lagging. Um, also, you know, in private markets, this is a relatively recent vintage, uh, looking at 2020 and 2021. So 
um, a lot of uh, realization slowed down during the pandemic and folks hold, held on to things longer. And yeah. so you can, I think, expect that these are still sort of immature private markets partnerships for okay. those years. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Contributed dollars are more than the okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Another good question. Um, some of these, and I would say probably most of par private markets partnerships can recycle capital, so it's within their um, their offering documents um, that they're allowed to. If they call your capital, they invest it, they make a realization, they give it back to you. There's a certain time period in which they can recall it if they find another good investment. Which I think overall, you know, you commit to these, your staff commits to these partnerships because they believe that the managers are going to do what we've asked them to do and stick to their style and only call the capital if they think they're going to make money on it. So generally that ends up being a good thing, but it results in the, um, the called amount being higher than the committed amount. In those circumstances, do we do we have options, or we're committed to recommit the capital? Because um, I could see where that could be a source of abuse. Mm -hmm. Yes, every um, private placements memorandum and legal documentation is going to have different regulations around that, which is something that can be negotiated depending on the fund. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and typically, there's a time horizon in which they're allowed to do that, and then after a certain number of years, they're not anymore unless they get specific permission. Um, from you all, but it really depends on each individual partnership. And mm -hmm. there have been cases in the past. Um, there's one manager in the private debt portfolio that the staff um, decided they were not going to um, allow continued capital calls. So, um, with mm -hmm. some some legal options around that. Mm -hmm. And what would be? You say there's typically a time horizon and it's negotiable, but what would be typical in the industry? Um, it depends on the asset class. Usually mm -hmm. private debt has a shorter time horizon than um, private equity or venture capital, uh, for example. So it's there's usually you know um, a period of uh, two or three years when they commit the capital and then maybe another couple of years after that when they can recycle it, but it really mm -hmm. depends on the fund. Okay. Any other questions from trustees? Thank you. Yeah, I, I had one quick one with your, the, really the first page, the internal rates of return of the public market equivalents and the private. Um, is there a metric that you can speak on that would capture more of a risk-adjusted basis between private markets and the public market equivalent? I know we have a benchmark of like the plus um, 100 basis points around typical private investments, I think. Um, is that standard here as well? Yeah, that's yeah, a, um, another really good question, and, and it's tough to measure because um, private markets are sort of artificially not volatile, just in terms of yeah. we only we only value them however um, however often, and um, and so we do look at standard deviation, but that's not a great a great measure of risk um, when we look over the long term in the, the general um, overall pension plan report. You're looking at um, very long-term returns and long-term standard deviations. One thing we do when we're planning asset allocation is that Makita develops capital market expectations. Um, every year we do a study where we look at um, 100 different asset classes, not that there's really 100 individual asset classes, but we try to look at anything that an institutional fund might want to invest in, and we sort of artificially inflate our expectations for standard deviation for um, private markets to try to capture the fact that they're just not valued as often. Otherwise, when you do sort of a mean variance optimization, the model might just put 
a lot more assets into private markets because it looks like it's not as risky. And so that's something that we try to control for during the asset allocation process. Any other questions from trustees? Okay, proceed. This is great. I'm getting lots of good <laughs> questions today. Thank you. Um, so on moving on to the real assets program on page seven, um, you can see that um, the total program was at 2.4% of the retirement system relative to a 3% target. There was one new commitment during the quarter to Ridgewood Water Fund 2 in the amount of $5 million. And if we take a look at the individual vintage years and strategies here, um, you can see that the, uh, the program is, is less mature than the private debt program with the first commitment being back in 2016. Um, you can see on the far right, um, Kimmeridge Energy in particular with um, really outsized outperformance. Um, most of these funds are performing quite well um, with the exception of one smaller co-investment in 2020. Um, and uh, Crestline, you can see, is the most recent commitment in 2021 with a um, well above peer median return. The next program is real estate. Real estate stood at 4.1% of the overall plan relative to a 3% policy target with no new commitments during the quarter that we're looking at. But you can see really strong performance over two pages here um, for the real estate program. Um, I believe every fund in your program, with the exception of Torchlight Debt, um, is outperforming um, its, uh, its benchmark. There, there is some underperformance as well from Ipiso 4. Um, that is a European fund, and so some currency movements during the time period that you all have been invested have caused them to lag their benchmark slightly. The DRA funds are ones that you all have been investing in back since 2005. And you can see even recent uh, DRA commitments in 2022. You can see that those funds have been really strong performers in the program and something that um, our a legacy sort of manager that uh, your staff continues to commit to over time. The last program in terms of private markets is the least mature, the venture capital program, which is pretty new. It equates to half a percent of the overall retirement system versus a long-term target of 4%. There were no new commitments during the quarter that we're looking at here. And you can see that the performance is um, largely not meaningful given that venture capital is a very long-term asset class and these commitments just started in 2021. I have a question. Mm -hmm. So when I'm looking at this, I see that the total value for per divided by paid in TVPI is 0.99. So that says that the value is less than what we paid in. So you paid in management fees. Um, which are included in this. So, so far there haven't been realizations, but you have been paying management fees. So that's pretty typical at the beginning of a program. Yeah, and 2022, it's 0.85. So it's lower. Does that mean the value could come up? Yes. Because it's unrealized value plus realized exactly. value, Exactly, yes. Right? We certainly expect, um, you know, can't promise anything, but certainly expect these funds. Um, they're very immature for venture capital. Oftentimes you have, you do have many losses and then some very large gains over long periods of time. but this is typical with the J-curve of um, investing in venture capital, where at the beginning you drop below um, paid-in value as you pay fees, and then it comes up over time. Okay, so this is looking at um, what they're currently valued at, but you think there's still potential Definitely. behind that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And the rest of this report has a wide variety of market 
um, charts and data on the individual private markets asset classes, but um, I'll let you peruse those at your leisure if you need some uh, bedtime or airplane reading, but um, uh, you know, always feel free to ask any questions on, on those topics. I do have one more question. Sure. On page 47, it talks about the real estate and it talks about e the, the index and one's EV, which is equal weight, but the other one was VW and I didn't know what VW stood for. Valuation weighted. Okay, so yeah. that's, that's the standard kind of index where it's equity, um, the, the capitalization weighted. Um, yes, and that's actually something that I'll mention when we go through the public markets report as well, is that when you equal weight um, based on, on companies, often you get a very, very different valuation, um, yeah. very different outcome than you do on valuation weighting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Any further questions from trustees? Any questions from the public, either present or online? Seeing none, we'll move to the next agenda item. Thank you. All right. Next, we have the total pension plan performance report as of the end of September. Um, the market environment, I think, has been quite surprisingly strong this year. If we take a look at the index returns here just to sort of set the stage for your performance on page five. You can see um, the uh, quarter returns, so June 30th to September 30th on the left was surprisingly negative. Yeah. But then if you look at year to date, which includes the first six months of the year on the right, you have the S&P 500 up 10.7%. Quarter to date through yesterday, the S&P 500 is up another 10%. Yeah. So really staggering positive returns, I think, and not what a lot of folks um, expected. Um, if we look at non-US markets, they're strong as well, not quite as strong as the United States. Emerging markets up 5% since the end of September. Um, and the aggregate bond index, which you know was quite challenged in a rising interest rate environment, has been up 6.5% since the end of September. So I know that your chief investment officer gave you, um, you know, positive mm -hmm. estimated returns for the fiscal year to date so far, um, but markets have, uh, have, you know, turned around, I think, since the time period that we're looking at um, this one negative quarter from June 30th to September 30th. Um, I will take a look at the watch list. As you know, um, we put in our report the watch list for any manager that is underperforming on a three or five year basis. So you can see that there are three managers currently on the watch list. We have some commentary about them as well. Um, we recommend holding these three managers because all of them, if we look at different time periods or if we look at peer rankings, are still performing quite well. And of course, we don't base recommendations purely on performance, um, but this just uh, does give us some comfort that even if we were to do that, these managers are um, not at risk in our minds. If we take a look at overall asset allocation, you can see that the total plan, the pension plan stood at 2.8 billion as of the end of September. I will point out that public equity was underweight and private markets was overweight. You can see on the upper right by a few percent in each case, but the total growth assets were right at target, right around 75%. Total low beta, very close to target. And, um, and other here, you can see, was close to policy as well. The Russell overlay 
um, is uh, an artificial way of getting the asset classes very close to their targets, even when on a physical sense they are not. Looking at performance, we have it here on the next slide. You can see for the, the quarter, as I mentioned, market performance was negative, but your plan protected value relative to every benchmark that we look at here, as well as the peer group, and ranked right around the top quartile of the peer group. Um, if we look at the longer term performance, you can see that um, a double digit return here for the one year period, the three year average annualized return also outperforming every benchmark that we look at as well as the five year. Um, if we do take the haircut um, for um, the fees that weren't included in the custodial statements, which we believe are about 10 basis points or less, mm -hmm. the peer ranking then goes from 12th percentile to 15th percentile. So the 20th percentile is about 6.45%. Um, so you can see that the even if the return is you know 6.8%, it's still well above the, the 20th percentile. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hear more about the haircut later today, but at what point will the haircut numbers be integrated into your numbers? Whenever so. the custodian bank, which is the book of record, mm -hmm. updates their data. That flows through to our reports. I see. And um, we believe that's best practice to rely on the custodian as the book of record. You know, we at Makita never mm -hmm. believed that we'd try to cook the performance uh, mm -hmm. reports, but, you know, the but custodian the, please, has please, please even less Please don't say the word cook in the open yeah. session. Yep, yep. The, the custodian <laughs> has even less incentive than we do to make your performance look good. Okay. Um, and so individual asset class-wise, um, I'll, I'll call out, you know, I think – Emerging markets equity has really shown recently, um, your investment officer, Christina Wong, um, uh, manages this asset class. And you can see that emerging markets equity, debt as well on the emerging market side, has been a disappointing asset class. I think um, from a fundamental perspective, growth in emerging markets is um, an attractive space to be in, but in riskier market environments or where the US dollar is strong, you see a lot of folks just selling off emerging markets um, whenever there's a, a blip in the market. However, the way that your investment team has implemented emerging markets has been um, much better than market. You can see here um, the emerging markets equity market as a whole for three years has um, lost an average of 30 basis points per year, and your fund's emerging markets managers have been up an average of 2.6% per year. And you can see the five-year return as well has been more than double the, uh, the index as a whole. Um, one of the ways that your investment team has done that is by overweighting India and having some dedicated um, India managers. Um, China has been a laggard, and so having less exposure to China in emerging markets has been quite positive for your plan. And you can see that the story on emerging markets debt as well, a five-year average annualized return of 4.8% relative to negative 0.1% for the benchmark. So you can see that your plan's emerging markets debt um, uh, exposure for five years has been in the second percentile or the top 2% of the peer group. Um, I won't go into individual managers unless there are questions, um, but I did want to look at the risk perspective um, on the portfolio because we've just been talking about returns so far. So we have some charts um, starting, I'll highlight page 55. So this is looking at the three-year trailing time period. And in the column on the left, we look at the annualized return for the three years. You can see that the total fund has been in the top quartile of its peer group. Then we look at standard deviation. 
And um, volatility-wise, you want these, uh, this dot and triangle to be above the line. That means less volatility than the peer group. Um, and so then we look at the Sharp and Sortino ratios, which are measures of risk-adjusted return. You want them to be higher, and you can see that they are well above the median for the three-year period and top quartile for your fund on a risk-adjusted return basis. And we also have the five-year period on the next slide here where the numbers are even more pronounced in terms of top quartile performance on a risk-adjusted basis. So with that, I'm happy to, to answer any questions about your overall plan. Great, thank you. Any questions from trustees? Any questions from the public here or online? No? All right, thank you so much. Move to the next agenda item. Okay, the last report that I have for you today is the Healthcare Trust, which I will share. You can see that the total current assets as of the end of September were $364 million in the Healthcare Trust, and you can see the current allocations relative to policy and the strategy on the asset allocation for the Healthcare Trust is the same as the pension plan taking into account that this fund needs to be more liquid and, and has a much um, lower level of assets. You can see on the next slide the performance. So I know we've discussed this before, but your healthcare trust is invested in a, uh, a bit more risky way than many of the peer group health and welfare funds. I would say that most of these health and welfare peer group funds have a um, over 50% weight to fixed income. However, your healthcare trust has a target return that's quite similar to the pension trust, which has served you quite well over the long run as you know, equity markets have, have done better than fixed income over the long time period that we look at here. And you can see that three-year return is in the top decile of the peer group at an average of 3.7% per year. Um, the individual way that we express the asset classes and the managers underlying them are quite similar. Um, to what you see in the, uh, the pension trust. So I won't go into detail there um, in the interest of time, but happy to take any questions. Any questions from trustees? Any questions from the public? Thank you so much for the presentations. Thank you, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you, Laura. So Mr. Chairman, with your permission, 2F and 2G, we do need, sorry, 4F and 4G. We do need the board's permission. So if when we move on to that, I would like to invite uh, Jay Kwan and Ron Kumar. Please. Uh, the first one is the approval to renew the contract for Albon America. They are a data provider for our absolute, absolute return program and the contract expires on December 31st. We are recommending a 18-month renewal to end the contract on June 30, 2025 to align with the plan's fiscal year. The fee will remain unchanged at 60000 and it includes a seven-day termination clause in case we decide to terminate. Uh, with that, I'll take any questions. Are there any questions from trustees? Any public comment? So we need action here to uh, approve yes, the uh, purchase? Yes, please. Uh, do we have such a motion? So moved, Mr. Chairman. We have a motion from Trustee Linder. Do we have a second? I'll second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Any discussion on the motion? 
Hearing none, we will vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. It is approved. Thank you. And the Thank second you. one is Dynamo Software, which is a cloud-based research management system that we use for manager research and oversight. And that contract expires on January 24th, uh, 2024. We also are trying to align this contract with the fiscal year end to end on June 30th, 2025. The annual fee is about 61,000 for 11 licenses, and it has a 60-day uh, notice period for termination. And with that, I'll take any questions. Are there any questions from trustees or from the public? So hearing none, do we have a motion to accept the recommendation? I move we accept the recommendation. We have a motion from Trustee Linder. Do we have a second? I'll second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Any discussion? Hearing none, uh, we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Recommendation is accepted. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, next old business, there is none. We move to new business, an oral update from our CEO, Mr. Pena. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, a couple of issues. Uh, I just wanted to share with you the retiree open enrollment ended uh, last November 30th. Um, all open enrollment changes will be reflected on the paychecks for the uh, retirees for the December payment uh, to initiate coverage for January 1st 2024. Uh, in terms of open enrollment statistics, uh, the health fair was attended by close to 200 members. Over 880 uh, open enrollment forms were received. Uh, about 60% of them were actually related to the in lieu continuation. That's when you're not really using the benefit, but you want a credit so that when you start using healthcare in the future, you have that credit. And uh, the majority of those changes were actually, about 530 of them, submitted via the member direct portal. Um, we actually had a very well attended health fair. We had stopped that during the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, we had it at the Leninist Center for uh, the Federated Retirees where they uh, usually have their meetings. and. Not only we have all the members, but obviously all the vendors as well. So um, great job by staff, by the way. I know it's a lot of work putting that together. Um, we had our office quarterly staff meeting uh, last month and uh, updated the, uh, the staff on the business of the office retirement services as well as the boards. Uh, plus, we had some presentations from some of the um, charitable organizations that uh, that are part of the city giving campaign so that the staff could make decisions in terms of uh, if they were electing to make uh, contributions to uh, which offices to make contributions to. Um, the office will actually uh, be closed just uh, as most of the city during the last week of the calendar year between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. is the 25th and 26th, they're actually closed. The office is open from the 27th to the 29th, which is uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, but it's a very limited number of staff. Some of them may be working remotely, some of them may be in the office, but it's somewhat limited. 
uh, but we are open uh, those three days, 27, 28, and 29. Again, January 1st and 2nd, uh, we're closed. We're back in business on uh, Wednesday, January 3rd. Two more things, um, especially for the federated employees, uh, the 415 bill limit, which is the, the internal revenue code limit, uh, code that actually limits how much can be paid on an annual basis in terms of uh, pension plan benefits. The amount went up uh, for the calendar year 2024 from 265000 to 275000 a $10,000 increase. Uh, $10,000 increase. We will be, uh, um, with the cost of living that is due in, in April, we will be reviewing all those members that are impacted by the Internet Revenue Code. 415 bill limit section and prepare um, the calculations and their letters accordingly based on this uh, updated uh, limit. Lastly, I wanted to share with you, I attended the city council meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, to, pre to present the status report of the boards for the uh, policies and procedures. Uh, the city council uh, did actually accept the status report uh, there were very good questions. I'm sure the council member Davis uh, will comment on it. Um, so there were there were some concerns uh, to the length of the uh, sections that the board still elected to review. Uh, and so I made the point that uh, the fact that they were reviewed further uh, didn't mean that the boards were looking to relax or, or soften controls, but uh, more than anything, they wanted to make sure that they work uh, and allow our office to continue performing and provide efficient and effective operations of the office. Um, and specifically, there were some concerns uh, because there were quite a few items related to labor, which it was a, a point well taken, and, and some related to travel. The city uh, council recommended that we uh, keep um, apprise the Office of Employee Relations, and so I communicated with Jennifer Chambry and uh, shared with her that we will certainly do that. Um, obviously, the City Council um, um, prefers that we go back to the City Council sooner rather than later. Uh, I explained the process that you boards um, actually uh, are requiring your, your respective joint governance committees to do the review and then, then once those meetings are completed, the items will come back to you boards uh, for further review and action. And so we will certainly come back to City Council with the final result uh, as early as possible. Uh, didn't make any commitments, uh, but did share that I thought it was more likely in the, in the second half or the first half of the year, so meaning the second quarter. But rest assured that we will keep in mind uh, the concerns concerns by the city council, and we will come back as as quickly as we can. I don't know if you have any further comments, Ms. Davis, but uh, that concludes my comments, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions from trustees? I have a question, but it's not about what's happening currently. I'm, and maybe this is something you'll um, tell us in the future. But one of the things that I know that. Um, a lot of the processes that are happening in ORS are very manual. And I'm wondering if going forward, and there was a report that we saw a few months ago saying that 20% of the 
retirees found it easy to find what they needed on the, the website. And I'm wondering if there's anything going forward that your team is looking at to m automate the processes more or to improve the website. So, and it may just be a question for a future meeting, but I'm curious about that. You know, it's a fair question. I'll defer to Barbara, but before she speaks, uh, so a couple of comments. Um, we would like to automate as much as we can. And in fact, before you join the board, um, we actually uh, had a presentation. We had a strategic planning on communications. We actually hire a communications uh, consultant, which we had shared with the board and the board approved. So there's a strategic plan on that, in fact. That included, at that time, we actually came out with, uh, what are the accounts, uh, Facebook and Instagram? X. Correct? Facebook and X. And X. <laughs> X, yes, really Twitter, X, I apologize. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. So my point being is that we, we, we are aware that automation is critical uh, for the operations going forward and in cases where we are able to implement those in an efficient manner, we will certainly pursue doing that. But uh, rest assured that we do have a strategic plan which we presented uh, a, twice a year. And so it's probably time to come back to you, board and make that presentation again. But with that, I'll turn it over to Barbara for any other comments. Yeah, additionally, we do have um, surveys on our member direct and our website, and we're always taking feedback and, and you know, implementing any um, changes that um, um, would improve in both of those. Um, in addition, we do, we are um, in the initial stages of exploring self-service, but of course, before we'd do that, we understand, um, you know, there's um, assessments going on currently um, for the network infrastructure, etc. Sure. So we're going to wait for the report or results from that and before we would broaden our services. Um, but we, we are hoping at some point to um, enhance um, and allow some self-service. Okay, good. Thank you. Any other questions from trustees? Yeah, I have a question. Go ahead. Um, so, Roberto, um, how many days a week is the office open if people need to drop off paperwork or things like that? On a, you know, when we're not dealing with holidays. So, so, Barbara, if I'm mistaken, please correct me. But we should be open Wednesday the 27th, Thursday the 28th, and Friday the no, 29th. No, not the so, yeah, generally speaking, um, Trustee Jennings, we're open every day, um, eight to five. Um, oh. and I think um, um, uh, CEO Pena was uh, referring to our holiday closure period. Yes. But in general, which I think your question was, um, we're open every day. Uh, apologies, yes. We, we are. They, they, the door is actually closed, but they just have to knock. On, we have a sign. They have to knock on the door, and we open the door for the, uh, for the members. Okay. Yeah, this is interesting. I was having a conversation with uh, someone who... Um, is retired and um, and their partner is retired and was mentioning that they had difficulty um, dropping off paperwork or stuff and I wasn't really sure the exact hours or anything so and it could have been from prior time you know who knows yeah now there's also a limitation sometimes um, like if if you're trying to get into the building 
before 7 a.m. You need a specific access car, and if you're coming in after 4.30, I think it is. 4.35 p.m. So if they tried those times, they could even get in the building unless someone opened the door for them. But again, our offices are open 8 to 5, Monday to Friday, except for holidays, obviously. Thank you. Any other questions from trustees? Any questions from the public here or online? All right, thank you, Mr. Pena. I believe next is an update from our city council liaison, council member Davis. Thank you, Chair. Uh, we did have our last meeting of the calendar year last week, Tuesday, and we, and we as, as Roberto mentioned, did hear the, the item about the, the policy update, the council, did express concerns about the, the length of the list um, for the city policies that are under review, especially as Roberto mentioned, uh, the, the employee um, issues, especially because many, if not most of the, well, all of the employees are city employees. And it's very important for, for us that all city employees are treated equally and are all following the same policies. The, um, the travel was mentioned as, as well as a couple of others. So very much um, also expressed interest in having this item closed as, as and resolved as quickly as possible. So um, there, there really was a question if this could come back at, um, at least by April to, to the council for, for review because mm -hmm. we very much wanna get this uh, get this resolved before we get into too much of the budget, which takes up most of June, as you all as you all know. So we would really like to have this um, have this resolved as as quickly as possible, and with as many of the policies being standardized across the city, including all the departments, including ORS. Mm -hmm. And uh, that concludes my update. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. Any questions for our city council liaison from trustees or from members of the public? All right, thank you very much. We'll move to item 6C. Uh, I believe our uh, actuary is here. Uh, discussion action on the final actuarial valuation. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Jackie King is also with us online for this. Uh, and she will be doing part of this presentation. Let me move here. Okay. There we go. Uh, so I want to start off uh, just with the schedule uh, quickly. Uh, this is the final presentation on the pension side. We also have preliminary results of the OPEB valuation. And then we'll be back in January with the final results of, the, of just the OPEB. So we're nearing the end of your, your actuarial cycle here. Um, so this is the final pension valuation results and uh, the primary thing we want to accomplish here is to take stock of what's happened to the pension plan during the year in terms of its funding 
and then set contributions uh, for fiscal year end 2025. So that's really the, the final numbers we're, we're moving towards here. During the last year, uh, items really progressed fairly close to our projections. So you can see the um, funded status improved from 57% to 59 based on the market value of assets and 58 based on the actuarial value. Uh, the liabilities grew. Uh, the liabilities are the, the bars, uh, the dark blue are people receiving benefits, and the gold are people no longer working for the city but entitled to future benefits, and the red are the active members. So the asset level in those lines, it, both the actuarial and market are very close together, so you can't distinguish the two lines, but um, there are not sufficient assets yet to pay for members who are in pay status. Uh, so it's a climb we've been on for a while and we are making progress, but uh, we still have not uh, reached even that level. The right-hand side shows the tier one versus tier two. Uh, two quick comments on that. One, uh, tier one is where the bulk of the unfunded liability is. It's uh, $2 billion in the tier one side. Tier two, however, for the first time, dropped below 90% funding. That's largely uh, because of our assumption changes. We raised retirement rates and salary increases, and so that caused uh, tier two to drop down. They are on a 10-year amortization, so we expect that to be uh, corrected relatively quickly as opposed to the tier one that's gonna take longer to pay. But the other um, consequence of that, and we'll show you a little later, is uh, tier two costs are normally split 50-50. Uh, but there's a cap on how much the member's uh, UAL rate can go up. And this is the first time the UAL rate would exceed that cap by just a small amount. And so the, the city's contribution is slightly greater than the member's contribution for the first time. Uh, here's the aggregate contributions uh, broken into pieces. The members are the light purple on the bottom. The city's normal cost is the dark purple. That's the cost of the benefits attributed to the next year of service. Uh, the little green slice is the administrative expense. And then the two gold pieces are the, the UAL payments. Uh, first the interest on the UAL and then the amount that's going to reduce the principal. Uh, the main thing I would take from this chart this year is we have the contribution rate going down as the contribution amount is going up. And, and what's happened is we had uh, some significant growth in payroll, uh, both salary increases and an increase in the number of active members. And so as a percent of payroll, uh, those larger dollar amounts are actually smaller percentages. On this chart where it says city admin, is that essentially the cost of the Office of Retirement Services? Or how am I to understand that? Uh, it, yes, it's the cost of the Office of Retirement Services. Mm -hmm. It's the cost of our services, other mm -hmm. uh, vendors, and administrative 
services. It does not include uh, investment um, costs. Fees, yeah, okay. We're actually, we have a couple slides on developing the actuarial value of assets. We're gonna, in the interest of time, skip over those uh, unless you guys have any questions on them. The actuarial value and market value are virtually the same right now. And I'll turn it to Jackie to uh, talk about the experience and changes in the UAA. So this is the change uh, in the unfunded actuarial liability. The graph on the left shows you the change over the last year. So um, it started at uh, about two billion and then uh, you've got your contributions and your investment gains uh, lowered the unfunded liability, but then the liability experience, mostly from salary um, being higher than expected, and then all the assumption changes from the experience study, those uh, increased the UAL a bit. Uh, the chart to the right shows the historical um, changes in it. So you can see uh, there's a couple of uh, prominent um, bars here, um, assumption changes or the purple ones. Uh, a lot of that is attributable to um, lowering the discount rate over the last 10 years um, and, uh, and certain assumption changes um, like uh, for mortality and stuff like that. Um, the gold bar is for your investment gains and losses. Uh, so you can see that um, it, for most of the years, so six out of the 10 years, um, that increased your UAL. Uh, another bar to look at is your um, the gray bar, uh, particularly that that comes a lot from your salary changes um, and other demographic experience. Uh, the line is showing the the net change in everything. So um, if you can see in the last three years, that net change has actually gotten um, fairly small and closer to the, to one. Uh, sorry, closer to zero, uh, which is great. Um, because that means that you're, you're kind of hitting your assumptions and you're not seeing as many gains and losses from that. Uh, the last one I wanted to focus on is the, the red bar. Um, what that is, is uh, the contributions and how they're paying down your UAL. So for the first five years of that period, they were adding to it, um, but you worked really hard and now it's actually um, decreasing uh, the UAL. So it, it's paying it down. So we just wanted to point that uh, that out. So. Okay, so I, I just, I wanted, just to wanted to observe, observe on, that on that chart. It's perhaps visually counterintuitive that all that activity below the zero line, that's to the good. Yes. That's to the good. Yes, yeah. it's lowering okay. it, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is counterintuitive. The UAL is up, and so, mm -hmm. but we don't right. like the UAL, so. Right, we don't like it at all. Okay, please proceed. Please proceed. Uh, here, we just wanted to give you a couple uh, charts for comparison on funded status. Uh, the chart on the left shows uh, national plans from the public plan uh, database. These are mostly large state plans, uh, and the bars represent the range of their funded status. The gold diamond is San Jose Federated. And the black triangle is the combination of federated and police and fire. So many of the national plans have a combination of general employees and safety employees. And so uh, that gives you that type of comparison, but you can look at uh, where your specific plan is. The uh, chart on the right is 
the exact same chart, except we're comparing to just plans in California based on a Chiron survey. We look at 39 different plans in the state of California. Uh, on that one, you can see uh, for a good period of time, the federated plan was the lowest funded plan in the state. Uh, we've moved off the very bottom, but we're still among the worst funded plans uh, in the state of California. And nationally, we're, uh, we're not well-funded either. But we have a plan. And <laughs> so uh, the chart on the left here shows our projections of uh, the actuarial liability. Uh, tier 1 is in dark gray, and Tier 2 is in light gray. And then the assets, which uh, overlay each other right now, both green and blue lines and the projections. So we're currently 59% funded uh, over the next 20 years. The plan is to get to 100% funded. Uh, we know that experience along the way will make it much bumpier than this projection. It assumes that all assumptions are, are met as we go forward. Um, the other thing I think is worth noting is even in 2043, we're projecting the liability for Tier 1 to be greater than for Tier 2. So uh, Tier 1 is with us for quite some time. Uh, the right-hand side just looks at the actual unfunded liability and the projection uh, to pay it down over time. This uh, oh, chart. Uh, hold on. Uh, uh, Vice Chair Jennings, please. Yeah. So when you were comparing to California, um, that's got CalPERS in there. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And do you know where CalPERS falls more or less, at least in 2023? Um, I don't off the top of my head. Uh, I want to say that they're around 80, but I could be. Uh, yeah. Mm, I think they're in the 60s. Are they? Well. But that does CalPERS, yeah. But that does raise another question. This chart, which is back on page 10, this is just looking at the number of plans. It's not weighted by the assets. It is not weighted okay. by the assets, okay. no. And, and that's true on the national plans as well. Okay. Um, it, it's not uh, weighted by assets at all. Okay, so. and, and the big one I have is that, you know, CalPERS has a classic program, right? And so that's like our tier one in a way. And then they, I believe, have the, you know, not Pepper that goes forward. Yeah. So still have that same, you know, waiting for that active pay or the, the, the pay, you know, retirees to kind of, I guess, leave the plan, right, one way or another. It, um, yeah, most of the plans have something similar. This has the, for example, the 20 county plans uh, are included in the survey uh, along with uh, the city plans in San Francisco and L.A. Uh, and San Diego. So mm -hmm. most of the plans have... Uh, a, a tier one, at least a tier one and a tier two, if not more tiers than that, and, and certainly 
PEPRA and tiers, which are comparable in timing to your tier two. And that mm -hmm. was what the CalPERS funded that they seventy-two. Seventy-two. It was seven. Yeah. Seventy-two. Okay. Mm -hmm. so the two of you. Also, um, you know, uh, what was I going to say? If oh, it just went right out of my head. So sorry. <laughs> you you can always come back to us, uh, Vice Chair. I can come back. Yes, it does. <laughs> so, um, because I'm seeing conflicting, depending on the asynchronous return, there might be some no 80s if you use some high asynchronous return. So, suffice to say, they're higher than federated, and they might be somewhere between the 70 and 80 percent range. That's what I can say. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. They're in that I 70 to 80 percent range. Yeah. Also, the discount rate. I mean, aren't some of these California plans that we're comparing that look so much better have a higher discount rate than we do? Um, yes, but um, most of the California plans are at either six and three quarters or seven. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see the same data on page 10 with the discount rates normalized. Yeah. And um, to see yeah, how we, we can really stack up. Um, well, we'll leave that in a, as an assignment for yes. future presentations. So we, we actually have that in uh -huh. the national data. Oh, I don't know that we've built it into the tool for the California data, but we can. Um, it doesn't move the California data a whole lot because their mm -hmm. discount rates are so close. Mm -hmm. uh, and even on the national uh, scale, most, most of them have come down to around 7%. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I think the median may even be slightly below seven now. Yeah. And uh, I just looked up CalPERS discount rate 6.8% as of July 19th. Okay, so they're still 6.8% well, 6 .8. 6 .8 on the discount. So they're a little higher than us. It would just be interesting to kind of know what they're doing that we're not, um, because I can tell you their salaries are higher than ours overall, you know, the county still pays more. Um, so their wage increase might not be as significant, but that's because the salaries are higher. I mean, there's a reason why people are leaving the city to go somewhere else, because they can make more. They also don't have that 5% non-pensionable that we have. And so when people do leave the city, uh, we have to now pay out at that you know, we lose that 5% non-pensionable that we have. So it's just be interesting. I, I, I don't know if that's in a data comparison, but it would be interesting, right, since we are at the bottom? Yeah, so uh, that kind of analysis is something we could do maybe for a retreat to mm -hmm. understand kind of this history and how your history is uh, different from some select other plans. Um, yeah, I'm if that's informative. But I would like to mention something that you have mentioned in the past. Um, I think since I joined this board, initially we were ahead of the curve on decreasing the discount rate. So that 
obviously we got below 7% a lot sooner than our peers. Now we have remained in that area between six and five A's and six and seven A's for the last five, seven years, but we got there really quickly when everybody else was about seven and a half. Mm -hmm. yeah. But what I wanted to say is specifically to Federate it, and of course you are the actuary, you are the experts, if I'm mistaken, please correct me, <laughs> is that um, this board many years ago before I joined, um, for many years all these plans, they had a 30-year amortization that was called a 30-year rolling amortization, meaning every year the liability was amortized over 30 years. <laughs> so when the downturn came and the fund status were impacted, that practice was sort of somewhat stopped and this board elected to then go from 30 years, um, from the 30 year rolling amortization to 30 years fixed and then 29, 28, 27. What that meant was that for the f about the first seven years, between the 30th and the almost the 23rd year amortization, the contribution that was calculated for payments by the city was not enough, assuming everything else equal, was not enough to actually pay down the unfunded liability. Is that a fair? Yeah. So there. Uh, so, so everything else equal, the funded ratio continued going down because there was not enough. There was enough to meet the calculated payment required as calculated by the actuary, but because the amortization was still so long, it didn't include enough of a uh, payment down on the um, unfunded liability to start just taking away that unfunded liability. So you can explain it better than me, but that's basically the concept. Y yes, so um, back in 2009, we were still using the rolling 30-year amortization method as a level percent of pay. Um, what Jackie was talking about here with these red bars uh, it is the end of that transition away from that. So uh, we fixed the amortization period at 30 years instead of letting it roll in 2009 and then have made shorter amortization periods since then. And so as that 30-year amortization has gotten shorter and shorter, we switched from it not being enough to pay anything down on the UAL, not even the interest on the UAL, uh, to in 2019, we finally started paying down the UAL with the contributions. And so that was a, a, a critical change that was made. It takes a long time to turn the oil tanker, so to speak. Uh, and so it, it has taken a while. And this, if you look at, this chart is showing um, the individual pieces, uh, individual layers of our amortization. So each year when there's a change, we amortize that uh, change. That uh, light red layer is that 30-year layer that was set in 2009. That is the bulk of what we're uh, trying to pay down. And you can see it goes out to 2039, and then we have a significant drop in our contributions. So um, that really was a big part of the history uh, of how we ended up here. I would say um, 
And Jackie pointed this thing. We don't go back quite far enough on this chart. We only go back to 2014. But those assumption changes that you see early on, those were bringing down the discount rate, but there were a bunch of other assumption changes that we felt had to be made to really strengthen the, the assumptions for this plan. And, and so those added quite a lot to the, to the actuarial liability early on, and, and that drives your funded percentage down. But it puts you on a, a much more realistic path going forward. Uh, it's just when you're starting at 50 to 60% funded, it's gonna take a while uh, for us to, to climb out of it. And so that's what this part is showing. You can see on the left graph, in 2018, we were 50% funded. And, and it's, um, our contributions are, are relatively high. Um, you know, if we wanted this to go faster, we can raise the contributions higher, but there's always the issues of managing that load on the city uh, at the same time that we're trying to, to pay it off. And so we've kind of found this, um, this medium position where we think the, the rates are high enough, we're paying down the unfunded, we have a plan uh, to get there, um, but it, it's not gonna be there in five years. It, it's gonna what take a while. What budget were you seeing from the uh, remedial amortization? Uh, it was 2010, I think. Um, so we froze the 29 uh, base and made it a 30-year base and, and started um, fresh from there. And then from in 2010, we made it, is it what, 10 years? 20, 20 year, year, 20 year amortizations. 20 years, okay. I always get confused between, so then we changed it to 20 year amortization. Right, right. So, I mean, it might be good, especially with all the board turnover, to revisit all that history at some point and, and kind of walk you through what the changes were, when, why, and sort of how the, mm -hmm. the ship has turned, um, and then where we're going from here. But um, I, I think that's important. I'm sorry. You know, because a lot of times when I'm listening to this, and, you know, I'm a city employee as well, and I'm a tier one employee, it's like, oh, it's tier one, they're doing this to us. Or, oh, it's the salary increases that we like justly gave employees. You know what I mean? It just seems like, you know, that's an easy way to pigeonhole this and why we're so low. And, you know, I don't know if that's truly accurate. You know, I mean, I'm sure it all has impact, but, you know, you know, I just, it, it always kind of raises my back a little when I, for those things. And I don't know if that's truly what's driving this to this level. And um, we just, I think we need to keep on saying that. Otherwise, it, it creates a picture that might not be uh, the one we want to go forward. I think it's certainly important to have an historical view, so maybe we can have a study session where we go back and look at some of past decisions. And mm -hmm. also governance has changed for, for the pension board and a lot has changed. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I do take some heart in the graph on the, uh, on the right side, mm -hmm. which shows that our UAL on a dollar basis appears to have peaked and will begin to decline yeah. 
yeah. increasingly rapidly in the, as the years right. go forward. As long as we meet all our assumptions. Oh, of course. Salary increases. I have a question, um, just for my edification. Sure. How um, young are the youngest people in Tier One that are that are that are retired? Oh, that are retired. Yeah. So are so. So that um, we're paying benefits to. I'm curious. Uh, Jackie, can you look at the report? I mean, so the we can speak of the benefit structure how it works. Mm -hmm. That you can retire if you have thirty years with the city, you can retire at fifty. If you have less than thirty years, you can retire at fifty-five. And there are a number, and and you also at that. Yeah, then you need 15 years with the city in order to get medical. Right. So if you're, most people, if they have families or whatever, want that 15 years, um, yeah. they tend to, you know. But that would be, at this point, the youngest, in my opinion, because, you know, they retired sometime this year. Yeah, yeah. not, not counting right survivors. That's so. what yeah. Or disability. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. No, no survivors, just the actual members because yeah. you can have survivors and members pass away and you can have kids that are in their teens and sure. you're paying mm -hmm. them. But I think generally speaking, uh, I think your question was not what's the, who's the youngest, but generally speaking, like how young can they retire? Yeah. Early 50s, early to mid 50s, I mean, tier one, um, you know, if they want to get a sizable the benefit, meaning many years of service, started working early and everything else, I would say early 50s, yeah. uh, but I mean, that's not the bulk of them. I mean, you have the data, mm -hmm. I don't, so. Right, or they do a deferred retirement. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, 50, 55, it's pretty young to yeah. retire, in my opinion. So yeah. then they defer and don't draw on their retirement, and then they go work for the county mm -hmm or Milpitas or you know any of these places they mm -hmm. make more money and then they work another you know 10 or more years and then they get paid out yeah. out yeah. of our retirement system at that highest salary and that is how they get rid of the 5% non-pensionable <laughs> so uh, I would just say uh, on the agenda there were three documents I'm only going through the mm -hmm. uh, PowerPoint, but there's a, a final report on the experience study and a final report on the valuation. There's a whole appendix in the valuation report that goes through the census data and, and breaks things out by age and service. And so you, you can get to a lot of those questions um, looking through those, those tables. Thank you. Um, and yeah, and then we're we're happy to mm -hmm. go through it uh, with you as you wish. Okay. Please proceed, Mr. Holmock. Okay, these are the um, projections of contributions. Uh, chart on the left is the rate. Chart on the right is the dollar amount, uh, breaking between the member and the city. The dark blue line is what the projection was last year. Uh, Again, it's interesting to me that uh, the contribution rates are lower than we projected last year, 
but the dollar amounts are higher than we projected last year. And so that's consistent with that story of we have uh, expanded the, the payroll both through the number of active members and the salary increases, and so that's driving that dynamic. Um, and you can clearly see on the dollar chart after 2039 when we pay off that 2009 UAL that we have uh, like a $150 million drop in the contribution. Um, so we will probably want to do something before we get there so that we don't actually go off that cliff, that it grades down over some reasonable period, but um, we don't need to do anything now on that. So um, we wanted to quickly hit a couple things um, about the plan. That's th those are the main results, but we want to hit a couple things here. I'm going to let Jackie talk about Tier 1 versus Tier 2. Um, so these are showing the graph on the left shows your MIP accounts, and on the right is the payroll. So everything in, um, in blue is Tier 1, and everything in green is Tier 2, and it's broken down a little bit by status, too, based on the shade. Um, but what you can see is um, on the right there, uh, you can see that Tier 2 is now making up 68% uh, of the payroll um, compared to Tier 1, which is only 32%. So you can see how the, the Tier 2 is growing. But what I'm going to do is uh, then switch to, um, so bear in mind, it's, it's a lot of your payroll. But now if we look at it um, as a portion of your liabilities and your assets, Tier 2 is still very, very small. It's growing, but it's still a very small fraction of it. Tier 1 still accounts for the majority of the liability and the assets. Uh, this one, we're showing you the uh, comparison of the dollar contribution amounts. Um, so the key thing from here, too, is um, if you look at the Tier 1, that city UAL payment is still the, the biggest bulk of the contribution that's getting paid. So it, it accounts for about 75% of the city's contribution and 65% of the total contributions coming in from the city and the members. Um, your tier one normal cost, it's expected to decrease um, as members retire and you have fewer actives there. Um, but there was an increase this year. And once again, we're gonna tie that back to uh, the increase in the salary is what caused that increase. It wasn't an increase in the population, which is decreasing for tier one active population. Uh, tier two, your contributions are increasing as your um, as your payrolls increase, and as Bill mentioned earlier on, uh, there is a limit on the uh, member contribution, uh, the UAL portion of their um, tier two um, contribution amount, and that did get applied this year. And, and what that is 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 just that that portion of the contribution can't increase by more than 0.33 percent. So, um, that. Um, um, so, so every year with evaluation, we have a section on the maturity of the pension plans. And the reason we want to talk about it is that unlike a mature person who you think of as level-headed and all, uh, a mature pension plan is the opposite. It's very sensitive uh, to any changes. Uh, you don't want to prick the, the mature pension plan. Now, we make a big deal out of this at the police and fire uh, meeting because they have one of the most mature plans uh, around. Federated is 
mature, but much, much less mature. So um, keep that in mind. We'll just uh, touch on it for you to, to, um, to keep in the back of your, your head about the sensitivity of the plan. compare the siblings, right, police and fire and federated, but since, you know, trustees ask questions and always compare themselves or the plans to California, when you compare our plan to other California plans, I mean federated, how, how mature are we compared to uh, our peer systems across the state? Um, so do we have, we just have the national, we didn't put the, the California one in here. You mean you don't know by heart uh, off all the, the top of my head? I, I, I think you are. I think federated is uh, probably above the median. Okay, that's my but, point. Yes, um, but but probably not too far above the median in California. Thank you. Uh, yes, I, I think that the, some of the um, some of the statistics and the various points. Um, so Jackie, did you want to do this one? Or? So uh, uh, one of the measures that we look at when we're looking at maturity of the plan is called the support ratio. And what that is, is the ratio of your inactives to every active that you have in the plan. So this graph shows the historical counts by status. And then the red line is that support ratio. So as your plan matures, you expect that support ratio to tick up uh, as your uh, ratio of your inactives to your actives, because um, you kind of assume an, a stable active population, but you expect your inactives to keep increasing. Uh, you did see a decrease this year, uh, and that was due to a nice increase in your active population. Um, if, you, if you look at the, the two bars at the bottom, the blue, um, you're almost up to the level uh, your active count from 2009. Yeah, that big decrease has been creeping up. So. Uh, that accounted for the decrease this year. Uh, the next measure for maturity that we look at, we call them the leverage ratio. So there's the asset leverage ratio and the liability leverage ratio. And what that is, is um, your market value or your liability um, compared to your payroll. So kind of in a nutshell, the higher the leverage ratio is, the more susceptible um, you are, the more, the more risk you're taking on. So for assets, the more risk you take on for investment losses and for liabilities, for changes like assumptions and stuff. So what this, uh, these graphs show you is, uh, uh, you know, the distribution and these are from the national survey, not the California survey. And you can see that the federated plan by itself um, on the left, uh, for the asset leverage ratio, you're fairly close to the medium, but when you count uh, police and fire in with federated, so the total San Jose, which is the, uh, the black triangles, you can see how much higher it jumps up. So as Phil mentioned, as a whole, the two plans together are very, very mature. Um, federated by itself is mature, but not as, um, as much as police and fire. And for the asset leverage ratio on the right, um, you know, you're, you're above the median there, uh, but not uh, uh, not as above it as police and fire is. 
So, th so the way to the think, way to about think that asset leverage ratio and why it's important is if you had a 10% loss on your investments compared to the assumption, not just minus 10, if your asset leverage ratio is 10, that's equivalent to 100% of your payroll. And so you're going to spread a cost equal to 100% of your payroll over 20 years in our amortization. If your leverage ratio is only six, that exact same investment loss is only 60% of payroll. And so the impact it's going to have on your contributions is going to be dramatically less than if it was uh, 10. And, and so that's the, the dynamic that's being captured here. It's not to say that if you are 10, you don't take any investment risk because uh, you're going to need to look at those risk return trade-offs. Um, but just understand that it's going to have a more dramatic impact on your contributions uh, due to investment volatility. It's not just losses. Gains also uh, are exaggerated. So it, it just creates more volatility. Is there a point at which we need to be less risky because of that, that we should be changing our, our asset allocation? Um, as we get to a certain level of maturity? Well, theoretically, there's a point. Finding where that point is and how much uh, <laughs> is a very difficult and subjective task. Um, so I think the other aspect of it here is if you um, take a more conservative asset allocation, then your expected return goes down. Yeah. And so then your discount rate goes down. And so now you're targeting a higher liability, so you have to yeah. pay more up front. So it's that risk-return trade-off you have to, to balance. And so here we are showing um, the, the current discount rate of 6.625, plus and minus 100 basis points. And then last time we talked that we're now required to show this low default risk yeah. uh, measure which the index for it is 4.9% this year. And so that difference is 6.2 billion in liability versus about 5 billion in liability. And so you can think of that 1.2 billion as um, the expected savings uh, from bearing the risk of your current investment policy. Uh, or you can think of it as the cost of eliminating that. So th there is a cost if you try to take that that down. Is the buy-in, are there, their asset allocation, if I remember, is it 70% equity and 30%? It's, it's yes. slightly more conservative than integrated with about 5% less in growth assets for police and fire. Okay. And they're the ones that are much more mature than we are. So... And since each board does an asset allegation, right, um, what we would do is control our piece of it. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so this, this is a much more significant issue for police and fire than for mm -hmm. federated. Um, and just going back to the previous slide, it looks like there's a notable jump in the asset and liability leverage ratios in 2011. 
So what happened in 2011? Uh, we cut payroll. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, I thought that happened in We had a, I guess a result. reduction in pay, yeah. and I think if I go back one more, yeah. you can see the reduction in the active population. Yeah. And there was a reduction right. in salaries. Okay. A lot of people retired. <laughs> and they left the city. So now I, I do want to emphasize here, we use payroll as the denominator, but payroll is really a, a proxy for the sponsor's revenue or budget uh, and less just about pay. You, you can't, and, and we do that because if we're, we could come up with a revenue or budget number for the city of San Jose, but uh, to go back to the prior example, try coming up with that for CalPERS. Um, because yeah. of all the different employers mm -hmm. involved and their different sources of revenue and stuff. So uh, for these kinds of comparisons, we use payroll as kind of a rough proxy of the resources available um, to the plan. Okay. So it's not just you give everyone a 20% pay increase and things look better. Mm -hmm. it, it has to be supported by the, the revenue uh, behind that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I won't go through these in particular, but uh, we wanted to give you a sense of how things would change on the contribution side if you change either the discount rate or if you had a really bad investment return. The right-hand side's looking at the investment return, and I would just note that's the first year impact. We smoothed that investment return over five years, and so you're gonna have a similar impact the ne next four years. Um, we have a number of projection scenarios. I'm gonna kind of orient you to them, but not go through them and then uh, take any questions. Uh, the first one is looking at the aggregate contribution rates and what happens, uh, we generate 10,000 different investment scenarios based on the capital market assumptions, uh, the expected return and the standard deviation, and, and look at how those contribution rates play out. Uh, so the bars run from the fifth percentile to 95th percentile of potential uh, uh, contributions. There is uh, a wide range of potential outcomes. Uh, it's Definitely not anywhere near as wide as police and fire, but uh, it's still a wide range. Yeah. Uh, this slide is looking at it by tier as a dollar amount. And so you can see the issue for volatility is still tier one. Tier two is small and growing, and so there's very limited uh, volatility on that. Uh, here, we're just looking at the projection of the unfunded liability. Uh, we had that nice chart showing it going down, uh, but there's variability around that. Uh, it does look like there's kind of a cap. That's because if you have bad experience, we raise contributions. So mm -hmm. there is kind of a cap because we assume you can pay the higher contributions to do that. Um, there is a possibility of uh, being more than 100% funded. It's not a high possibility, but it <laughs> is there. Um, it's, it's good to know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the right-hand side is just showing by year the, the probability of achieving either 80% funded in blue or 100% funded in green. And so you can see those probabilities increase over time. Now we, we developed some scenarios so you can get a sense uh, of, uh, in a, on a simplified basis, what happens in different scenarios. Uh, they're built off the capital market assumptions, which this year are much uh, more optimistic than they have been in the past. They're not intended to be realistic, but to just give you a sense of uh, the volatility. The left-hand side shows the city aggregate contribution rates. The right-hand side shows the impact on tier two member contribution rates. And I just wanna caution you, we've zoomed in on that. So yeah. it looks like the tier two member contributions are volatile, but the entire scale covers 1.25% of pay. So uh, just keep that in mind as you're, you're looking at that. The, and then I, I want to end with this. This is um, a cheat sheet we're giving you, <laughs> essentially, to look at what next year's contribution would be under any investment return scenario for the coming year. So the, the x-axis shows investment return for fiscal year in 2024 ranging from minus 15% to plus 30%. Uh, the blue line is the uh, 2025 contribution, which is locked in, and the green line is how it would change for 2026 based on uh, those investment returns. Left side shows percent of pay, right side dollar amount. Um, and, and so when Prabhu gives you the update about where you are, you can kind of look at where we expect you to be in terms of contributions for the following year. So with that, we'll take any other questions you may have. Thank you very much. Any questions, further questions from trustees? So I especially appreciate the sensitivity yeah. analysis. Any question? question. Uh, Go ahead, I'm please. I'm looking at the appendix and it seems like the contribution rates for tier two are increasing. Is that correct? Um, yeah, so the contribution rates increase this year. Uh, for fiscal year in 2025, and then they um, are projected to actually decline. And I understand that there are multiple factors which are contributing to this increase, but if, for a layman, if one has to list the primary factors for this increase just in tier two and not tier one, what can uh, yeah, I don't have the cheat sheet in front of me, but the uh, we changed some assumptions which had a much bigger impact on tier two than tier one. The big one, I believe, was the retirement rates because we had been using some uh, rates from CalPERS because we didn't have any tier two experience. And this year we had tier two experience and it showed much higher uh, retirement rates uh, for the people who've retired so far. There's not a ton of them. Uh, and so we increased those those retirement rates, which uh, increased the liability. There's also the, the salary increases uh, had an impact there as well. Thank you. Any other questions from trustees? 
Any questions from the public, either here or online? Okay, it appears there are none. Let us move to the next presentation. So this one's for discussion and action, so we, we must oh, I'm sorry. approve it. Okay, thank you for reminding me of that. Um, so we need uh, action to, uh, to accept the final valuation report. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, so do we have a motion to accept the report? So move, Mr. Chair. To accept the report. Okay, I'm, I'm, I think I heard uh, Trustee Linda first, so I'm going to give him first uh, motion, and it sounds like Vice Chair Jennings is the second. Is there any discussion on the motion? Any public comment? We can vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The report is accepted. Uh, now we're on to uh, preliminary results for the OPEP. And I believe it's still Mr. Hallmark. Yeah, let me get. Okay. Uh, so we have uh, Mike Shunning online and Taylor Stevens here with me. Uh, first, I, I want to announce that Mike Shunning is retiring, uh, and I think it's January 12th. Is that your date, Mike? I yes, that he, is the date. So uh, just before your next meeting. <laughs> um, so we, Mike has been the health actuary on this for quite some time, and we've really appreciated his work. Uh, Taylor is going to be stepping in and taking the role of the primary health actuary. We have a, a team of people, though, so the rest of the team is not changing. Uh, and so we just want to wish Mike well, and uh, we'll uh, go through the preliminary results here. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so th the OPEB valuation is very similar to the, the pension valuation, but there are a couple things I want to point out that are different. First, uh, there are two different subsidies. Uh, there's a premium subsidy, which we call the explicit subsidy, and that's the focus of the funding and really the focus of our m most of our presentation. We also disclose uh, an implicit subsidy that the city pays on a pay-as-you-go basis through their active health premiums. And so that, that's really a part of the liability for the overall plan. We disclose it, but it's not uh, part of the pre-funding strategy, uh, which is what we're really focusing on. The other piece is that member contributions are fixed for this plan at seven and a half percent of pay. So the changes we make do not affect member contributions, unlike on the pension plan where when we make assumption changes or other changes, it can affect member contributions. Uh, the last thing is this plan is largely closed. So there's a closed group of people who are entitled to full benefits, full retiree medical benefits under the plan. The um, everyone else is only eligible for a catastrophic disability benefit. 
And so that's much, much less expensive. And so we have a, a different dynamic um, because of that. Uh, and then I'll mention what one other difference here. Uh, the left-hand side, we're showing the, the liability just like we did on the, the pension plan. I, I do want to point out that the uh, total liability for the explicit subsidy is $630 million as opposed to about $5 billion for the pension plan. So we're dealing with a much smaller um, liability here. The, uh, on, the on the funded status side, you can see that uh, both assets and liabilities went up, but liabilities went up by uh, at a faster pace than assets, and so the funded status dropped slightly from 60 to 59. That's translating on the right-hand side on the contributions. Uh, we have the member contributions in uh, purple and the city's contributions in gold. And those contributions are higher than uh, we expected in the prior valuation, which is shown by the blue line. The other thing I'd note is that the normal cost is the cost of the benefits attributed to the next year of service. The member contributions are paying more than the full normal cost. So member contributions are paying down a part of the unfunded liability. And the city's contribution is entirely going to the unfunded liability. So this offers a view of membership over the last several years. Um, just looking at the change from the prior valuation, active membership is up about 6.6%. And among that group that's only eligible, that's eligible for full benefits, that's continues to decline and is down 6.8%. Um, the group that's eligible for catastrophic disability only is up 13.5%. We look at members who are receiving benefits. Um, the non-Medicare eligible population continues to decline, while the population that's eligible for Medicare um, continues to increase. So this, again, offers a view of that increase in the actuarial liability, as well as the smaller increase in assets. Um, the increase in the actual liability, uh, we'll get into it on the next slide, but is, is largely driven by the higher premiums that we've seen. Um, and as Bill mentioned, the, the difference in the increases causes the unfunded actuarial liability to increase. So this is a view of that, that change in the unfunded actuarial liability, similar to, to what we showed on, on the pension side. Um, so decreasing the UAL are contributions and investment gains that were slightly above uh, what we expected. You can see that liability experience as, as that large gray bar there, and that's, that's the, the higher premiums that are causing that increase in the UAL. Um, we also had a few assumption changes that, that caused a slight increase as well. And so this breaks out the UA. So this shows the changes in UAL for each year over the last five years and breaks it out into those same component parts. So you can see we have that 
large increase in the UAL this year as a result of premium increases. But going back over the last five years, it's largely gone the other way where premiums have been lower and, and have actually um, been lower than our expectations and decreased the UAL. Um, in fact, over the full five-year period, uh, the liability experience has decreased the UAL $93 million. Um, When does the liability decrease when um, the people on the uh, plan reach Medicare age? You know, they start uh, claiming that. No, no. Um, okay. And we'll show on on another slide how much the essentially the the benefits are are less per year, but it's over a longer period of time. So the Medicare eligible period for a member is is longer than their non non Medicare eligible period. But also the the liability is anticipating them going from pre Medicare to Medicare. So it's the liability itself uh, is sort of a present value of all those future payments. Um, so but once they reach Medicare, it's less of a cost to the plan, right? The annual, annual payments, payments are lower. Are lower. But it's but already it's known and baked into the numbers. So it's, it's not a, into it. yeah, right. so it's not so a change. The day-to-day -day is it's less if they're on Medicare. The I annual, guess that was my the question. The annual payments are less. Pardon? The annual payments to the individual are less. To the individual or to the plan? No, from, from the plan for the, the premiums. The annual payments are less when they are when the individual's eligible for Medicare. But that doesn't make the, the overall liability less. So, so looking at it from the perspective of an individual retiree, the amount of money that needs to be set aside for their uh, health care goes down once they're el Medicare eligible. But looking at it from the perspective of a plan, it's already known who is what age and when they will retire and it's already baked into the numbers, so it's not a net change in liability from one year to the next. Right. And, and then the other piece, which we will get to, is that overall the liability for um, Medicare-eligible health care is the largest part of your liability. And that's, even though it's a smaller amount each year, Mm -hmm. What Taylor was saying is you're, you're paying it for a much longer period of time mm -hmm. than you're making the pre-Medicare payments. Okay, understood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so I think we covered it. I think we covered it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, where we break uh, the source of the liability out. And so fully 50% of the liability is already for people who are retired uh, receiving payments and it's for their Medicare eligible uh, payments. The, the lighter blue shows the, the in-pay pre-Medicare liability is about 10% of the liability. So 68% uh, of the liability is people already receiving benefits. Uh, similarly, just by coincidence, 
60% of the liability is attributable to payments we expect to make for medical benefits after they're eligible for Medicare. So you've got uh, that dark red or almost brown color showing active members. They're not currently eligible for Medicare, but that's the liability we are showing for when they are eligible for Medicare, for the payments we expect to make when they are eligible. So just to wrap up, uh, these are the, the contributions. Uh, the member contributions are actually going up, which is um, very unusual because it's a closed group and the count is going down, but that's the impact of the salary increases. Uh, the city's uh, contribution goes up about 1.3 million. Uh, the city here does have an optional cap that they can um, impose, but that cap is um, far above the current contributions. So it, it really does not come into play and has not come into play for the federated plan. Uh, and then we estimate the implicit subsidy payment they're making to increase to 6.8 million. So uh, that's all we have uh, for you today. We'll take questions. We will be back with the, the final results here, um, which should largely mirror these, but uh, we may make some refinements. And we very much look forward to that. Are there any questions <laughs> from trustees? <laughs> so I have a, a, a very specific question on, on both this presentation and the previous one. We have discussed contributions from the city and from employees for both the main pension and, and OPEB. And as I believe you're aware, and we're about to discuss in the next agenda item, there has been an issue of the undercount of some investment fees that have uh, affected our calculations of investment returns. Does that affect your calculation or the actuary's calculation of contributions in any way, past or present, for the city or for members? Uh, based on my understanding of, of what's happened, it does not. Uh, our calculations are based on the audited financial statements and the dollars. Any reporting of historical returns is um, sort of irrelevant to our calculation. It's not entirely irrelevant. We like to look at the numbers, but it does not uh, come into our calculations at all. So as long as the audited financial statements don't change, mm -hmm. uh, there's no um, there's no change to our calculations. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from trustees? Any questions from the public? So uh, this is just discussion and preliminary results, so there's no action required. Correct. So with that, uh, we thank you, Mr. Hallmark, and the thank rest you. of the Chiron team and wish you a happy holiday. Happy holidays to you as well. And happy retirement. <laughs> and hopefully he has a pension. Um, so uh, we changed the, uh, the order of business. We're gonna take item 6G next, I believe. And this is discussion and action on the uh, Messiah, Ginny, and O'Connell agreed upon procedures report. Um, and who will be presenting on that? Um, yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Craig, are you join? Did you join us uh, remotely? Yes, I was aware of the attendee. 
Yes, hi, hi Craig. Craig. So Craig is the partner in charge uh, not only of the audit, uh, the financial audit uh, of the Office of Retirement Services by Mrs. Gini, but also for the agreed upon procedures uh, for this, this specific item, uh, which was a very specific uh, uh, procedures and review that was requested as Mrs. Gini. Um, dealing with, uh, you just uh, questioned, uh, Mr. Chair, regarding the, uh, the management fees and the calculated uh, returns of the plan. So with that, I'll just turn it over to uh, Craig for his uh, presentation on the report. Uh, welcome, Craig. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Roberto. Thank you. And uh, morning to all the trustees. As Roberto mentioned, I'm a partner with uh, overseeing all, the, all of our engagements for, the, um, for both federated and police and fire plans. And uh, due to the, kind of the, the issue with the management fees, um, management reached out to us and um, engaged us to perform what's called an agreed upon procedures uh, engagement. Now, agreed upon procedures, this uh, for those to, that don't know and to, and to go back over it, it's it's not an audit. It's not a, we don't provide any assurance over it, but what we do is we agree to perform um, procedures that management comes up with, gives us the information, and then we go and perform the procedures. In this case, uh, to assist uh, both boards into evaluating what would happen if we included the um, invoice management fees that aren't in the, that, as we understand, aren't in the, um, custodian bank and then the uh, consultant's records and what what that impact would be on the reported returns over the periods from June 30, 2015, all the way through June 30, 2023. And so we we, we performed our procedures. We, um, you know, we obtained the, the market values from the from the bank and from the consultant report over the time period. We obtained the um, the general ledger transaction details of all the invoice management fees, and then we perform the calculations to, to estimate what those um, missing fees impacts would be on the returns for over the over the different time periods. And we've got those um, laid out in our in our report um, that everyone should have a copy of and attached to the agenda. Um, overall, we found that the um, the differences in their returns. And this was, this applies to the both federated pension plan and the healthcare trust fund. The, the the differences were between you know two and twelve or thirteen basis points. That would it would change the um, the reported uh, the reported uh, returns in the uh, in the investment consultant reports. So with um, with that, I'll take any questions. Any questions from the public? Okay, is, uh, so we have action to approve this report on agreed upon procedures. Uh, do we have a motion? I so move. We have a motion from Trustee Abbott. Do we have a second? Second. We have a second from Trustee Linder. Any discussion by trustees? Any comment from the public? Hearing none, we'll vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The report is accepted. Thank you. 
And then in according to orders of the day, we were also going to take audit committee item 72B now. Is that uh, your intention? Yeah. Okay. So if we can flash forward to 72B. So before we, we hear that item, I just want a housekeeping matter. Before mm -hmm. uh, the board hears the act for item up for approval, I did want to note for the record that the attachment of the proposed act for that was posted with the agenda has been superseded by a revised version of the act for which we are making available to the board and the public at this board meeting. Hard copies of the revised act for subject to the board's approval today are available at this meeting um, in hard copy. And if you would like a copy, please raise your hand and we can provide one to you. Um, the revised for has an updated disclosure language with respect to the total returns, which have been reviewed by the chair and the audit committee, chair of the audit committee, that incorporates MGO's uh, agreed upon procedure report that the board had just previously approved. Thank you. Great, thank you. And so this is the ACFR for anybody who wants to refer to it. It's the big document. Um, So we uh, don't know if there's any further presentation or discussion on the ACFR. Um, there was considerable work this week to approve the footnote, which is highlighted in blue, which draws attention to the issue that was just clarified by the, by the MGO report about the undercount of fees. So we now have numbers that reflect most comprehensively the, uh, the fees that have been paid and the investment returns uh, uh, resulted. Well, one, one clarifying question. I, I'm not sure if the version that was posted did have the highlights. Benji, could you please? Um, I'm sorry. The, the um, version that was printed out has the blue highlights in it. And so if, if you would like me to note for the record where those disclosures are, I, I could certainly do that. Uh, if you feel that's necessary. Please. It's up to the chair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So there are two footnotes that are in the um, Act for Reports. One of the footnotes is the disclosure explaining that the certified financial the certified audited financial statements uh, sta statement of the total return fees are based on ORS's general ledger that uh, footnote is found at PDF page 79 of the document in the audited financial statement section the other um, disclosure is regard to the total investment returns percentages um, which is based on M MGO's audited uh, agreed upon agreed upon um, report which MGO just presented and that is found at PDF pages 1, 11 through 13, page 28, page 81, 88, 123, and 124, and 127. Uh, thank you. And I'm looking online, at least on the version I have, that the attachment that is posted did not have the most updated footnote That's language. correct. Okay. So the version subject to the board's approval is the hard copy provided to the board here today mm -hmm. and made available to the public. Okay. So with that, are there any questions from trustees or the public on the ACFR? Um, I just wanted to bring this up something in the hard copy is, is the footnote and the updated investment return percentage. Correct. So in the, the difference between the online copy that was posted with our agenda and the hard copy that's provided to you is the footnote language on the, on the pages that I've cited, as well as we have now included a copy of MGO's agreed upon procedures report that should fall behind the, um, what was is The report on investment activity. It was, on, it was following behind the report, Makita's report on investment activity. I believe it's on page 83 is where it commences. 82. 82. 
And the footnote, the footnote that appears throughout is, is exactly the same. No, the, the version of the footnote that's provided with the agenda copy is different from the version in the printed copy provided to you. Right, but, but within, it's consistent within this document. Correct. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Okay. All right, with all of that clarified, uh, are there any further questions from trustees of the public? And if not, do we have a motion to uh, accept and approve the ACFR for the past fiscal year? I so move. We have a motion from Trustee Abbott. Do we have a second? I second. We have a second from Trustee Avasti. Any further discussion on the motion? Any public comment? Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, how do you vote? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. And Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The ACFR is accepted. Okay, now we move backward to item, oh, item 6E, discussion and action on election of the uh, board chair. So this is uh, our last opportunity to reconsider the path we appear to be on uh, for this year uh, in uh, electing a board chair. So it is still possible, I believe, for other nominations to come forward. Is that correct? That is not correct. That so at this meeting, um, the nominee, nominations have already been done. Mm -hmm. At this meeting, the nominee for both vice chair and chair must accept or decline their nomination. And once accepted, then we would go ahead and vote. And um, the election must be done by an affirmative vote of four members for it to take effect. Major, can you uh, repeat the nominations? I was not there in the last meeting. Sure. So the nomination was uh, Chair Hor Horowitz to continue in his position and then Vice Chair Jennings to continue in her position. Uh, very good then. Um, so I guess then the next item is simply to, for a, well, it's not, is it a motion or simply a vote? It, it, it's, a, it's a vote. So um, first, uh, Chair Horowitz, do you, I believe you accepted at the last meeting, but just to confirm, are you accepting your nomination as chair? I guess I am. Okay. And then we would go ahead and vote. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess, and we have to have a roll call vote. Correct. So Vice, Vice Chair Jennings, how do you vote? Aye. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I think I will abstain in the interest of impartiality. Co congratulations, yes. Chair Horowitz. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we actually really need you in the transition right now. Mm -hmm. These two key issues that we're working on. We, we, we do have a number of balls in the air, that's no question. So I guess the same procedure now for the Vice Chair. That's correct. So Trustee Jennings, do you accept your nomination to continue to serve as Vice Chair? Yes, I do. Okay, we will have a vote, Vice Chair Jennings. Oh, I guess I'll abstain. Okay, uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. So our leadership team remains in place. <laughs> I have a question. What would happen Thank you for your service. <laughs> there was no, if someone declined the nomination. Would so uh, we have a board election procedures that mm -hmm. would fall into play. If we did not have a um, vote in, in place or someone declined, then we would then go to, um, hold on a second, let me just look right here. Generally speaking, they will have to choose one. 
<coughs> right. I, I believe we, we, there is procedure that we select one um, at random, I believe, but I would have to double check the policy. Okay, so it's, it's not a modified version of the Hunter, Hunger Games. Right. Okay. <laughs> so whoever's not at the meeting might get <laughs> That's right. Okay, a big incentive to show up. As they say, 90% of, <laughs> of life is just being there. That's right. Uh, so I believe we are on to committee reports now, 7.1 Investment Committee. Uh, the chair of the Investment Committee is not currently present. Um, we did have a very nice review of private markets and a number of other items. Uh, but I guess uh, we have to simply accept minutes from the Investment Committee, is that correct? Can, is that require a vote or that can be done? No, that's receiving file. Receiving file, very good. Uh, then we're on to the audit committee, oral update from the chair of the audit committee. Uh, do we have a report uh, from our chair? Uh, the last meeting was on October 19th. Uh, I wonder if the board was updated of that meeting in November because I wasn't there. Yes, right? so we probably I don't did. think I have any more updates. The next meeting is okay, on February great. 15th. All right, thank you. Then on to 7-3 governance committee. Uh, oral update from the chair of the governance committee. Just we met as a joint governance committee with the police and fire mm -hmm. recently, and we're working our way through various policies, as has been indicated by the council and others. Uh, Maytech has been trying to lead us through the policies <laughs> that we <laughs> need to work on, and um, we've agreed that travel is one of the big ones that we want to deal with, and. Um, I've been back. trying to avoid speaking more. <laughs> no. no, I was just saying that uh, we've met in joint session with the Police and Fire Governance Committee. And uh, we've been working our way through policies that we need to update or leave the same or radically change. And um, one that really has been important to people was the travel policy and um, anyway we continue on that path to try to get the policies uh, worked on as you heard from uh, councilmember davis this is something that the city council is interested in us cleaning up and we mm -hmm. agree and i will we keep working on it together okay uh, uh Council Chin, is there any further update from, sure, there, from you on this issue? Yes, so there is a discussion and action item which is on um, 7.3C. And so what was presented to the Joint Governance Committee is a, a work plan and to see if they wanted to take certain policies and certain priority. Um, the Joint Governance Committee had uh, indicated that they would just like to take the um, re review of the remaining policies that have not currently been adopted, city policies, that have not been currently adopted uh, by the boards um, in the order that shows up in that matrix that we had previously provided to the board of um, which policies that we were gonna accept, which ones we were gonna look further into. Um, that's, a, that's the status of the work plan, though we do have premium or put priority on the two issues of contracting and procurement that mm -hmm. has that has uh, jumped ahead in the, the work plan, but other than that, the work plan is subject to the board's approval. And the next governance committee meeting is January. Oh, but, but it does take uh, a motion to approve that work plan. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Well, I d did have just a question. The next uh, scheduled meeting of the governance committee is January 29th. 
do we anticipate at that governance meeting that we would have a comprehensive recommendation on all those policies where we seek to uh, carve out a, a separate policy from the city? I don't think we will be able to go a full comprehensive review mm -hmm. at the next governance committee as far as, again, I'm not mm -hmm. the chair, so I can't sure. set the agenda, but based on the temperature that was provided at the last mm -hmm. meeting, the, the topics that would be covered are as follows. One, the contracting and procurement policy of the board, mm -hmm. um, perhaps procedures provided by Cortex on that same issue, um, travel uh, policy mm -hmm. with respect to the board only, Mm -hmm. um, will be yeah. discussed at the next meeting. Investment staff was something they were considering carving out um, from the city policy, but for now the focus is on the board um, mm -hmm. off with regard to travel. And then um, based on the work plan, the next number or the next tranche of um, policies are the employment-related policies. And so for, for the most part, I don't anticipate that we will deviate too much from the city policies, if not accept them all. The only thing what we were looking for there is compliance with Measure G with respect to the CIO and the CEO to make sure that there's no need for any carve-outs there since they mm -hmm. report to the board. I don't suspect there is, but to the extent you know we need to practice our diligence and look mm -hmm. at that. So those are the general categories I would anticipate that the board, the mm -hmm. Joint Governance Committee would cover at the January 29th meeting. And again, we invite all stakeholders to, to attend that meeting as well. Okay, thank you. I also just wanted to add one thing is I think that one of the things that we said was that we're going to look at the board's going to approve policy, but the procedures don't have to be approved by the board. Right, but so with, with regard to the um, contracting procurement and policies, I do believe that it's important um, that the board have some visibility into what Cortex is providing to yeah. ORS. Um, I do believe the policy at a high level does require the board's input to determine which categories mm -hmm of services shall be you know, critical to the plan's administration and should be falling within their constitutional fiduciary duties as opposed to any other you know, non-consulting goods or services that are not critical to the plan administration. So that's really the judgment call yeah. that's gonna be made, I, I believe, at the, when we discuss the policies. Okay. Richard, can you um, explain a little bit about the, uh, I'm looking at the work plan, mm -hmm. uh, review for compatibility with constitution? Uh, can you tell me exactly? I think that was training that? and development. Oh, so that one we would have to look at to see, like, for I haven't looked at that policy right now, but essentially what we would want to do is make sure that the frequency of any sort of training that's required for the sound administration of the plan is in regular intervals such that our staff is up to date. And that's just a reasonableness um, mm -hmm. for the um, plan administration. Mm -hmm. Thank okay. you. Any further questions then? If not, we need action to accept the work plan. I'll move we accept the work plan. We have a motion from Trustee Linder. Do we have a second? I second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Is there any uh, trustee discussion of the motion? Uh, one more question. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a work plan, but it doesn't have a timeline. Right, so, so mm -hmm. what our timeline generally is, is to, we don't have a specific end date in the timeline, so this is just the priority of when we're gonna go through it. We do wanna make sure we're exercising diligence. I do suspect by the January meeting that we will have, I mean, the, the procurement policy may have to go through a, a couple iterations. I don't know exactly how many times the Joint Governance Committee would, may be able to meet 
to make that approval and then submit it back to the board. In terms of the review of the policies and how they go through, I mean, it really depends on how quickly we can get through the procurement issue and the travel policy yeah. issue because it is a bandwidth issue for both the joint committee, uh, joint governance committee's um, attention as well as legal counsel and cortex. Yeah, I mean, my only concern is in the absence of a timeline, it just mm -hmm. gets delayed for the. Well, you know. I spoke to the city council and I made a commitment that we will be diligent about the review and we'll come back as quickly as possible. But the same token, I was very clear and I think as council indicated, we didn't want it to put a timeline specifically because we wanted to make sure that we are diligent on the review. So we are well aware of the, of the need to be diligent and of the need to come back and complete the review as quickly as possible. But I think at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that we do this only once and we do it correctly. And so, again, I don't want to speak for anybody else here, but I think that was the, the, the concept of not having a specific timeline other than to make sure that we're diligent and come back to your boards and to the city council as, as early as possible. So I just want to make sure I have a clarifying um, question back mm -hmm. to Trustee Abbasi. So are you asking for a timeline from when all of our evaluation of the policies in terms of um, whether or not we accept them or not, or whether we, um, or, or so, sorry, let me let me rephrase that question, so I, that question, that comment is withdrawn. So are you asking uh, with, with regard to the timeline of our assessment of which policies we will follow the city policies and which ones we aren't, or are you asking when we will have all um, alternative policies relatedly to that initial um, timeline completed? My question was for the latter. For the latter, so for all the policies. Yeah, so that there is less confusion in the staff about the policies that we are following. Um, in the absence of clarity, I think the staff remains confused. So I can tell you the, the process in which we're, we're currently looking at the policies, and maybe this will give some clarification and some comfort. I think so. What we're doing is taking all the city policies that we reserve reservation on currently. So those are the ones that are still under review. Now we're not saying we're not going to adopt those city policies. We're just looking for compliance or you know certain tweaks here and there. Our initial review of, for example, the employment-related ones that should be a fairly quick review. We will probably get that done by January. And then the more complicated ones, like procurement, for example, may take longer. And so um, I do think what we will do is first look at the low-hanging um, policies that we more more than likely will adopt and go ahead and adopt those on a rolling basis rather than have everything come back to the board at once. We are, we heard from the council member that they're counting on us coming back with a report in April. Right. So I, I think she, yeah, I mentioned possibly April when I was at the meeting, but I didn't make any commitments, but I was clear that we would try to come back as quickly as possible. And by the way, um, the report status that was provided to the city council did include a number of uh, uh, policies that we already agree with mm -hmm. and that have been accepted and approved by the committees and the boards and so we are just strictly speaking to the ones that that uh, council is referring to now. Um, in terms of city council, I agree with them at the time. It, it looks like a, a large number of policies and procedures, but I was I tried to explain just what council indicated that it doesn't mean that they're going to be wholesale changes to them, but tweaks here and there, uh, except for maybe a, a couple of ones that we want to be very specific. But again, we're not trying to limit or to make them uh, less stringent, but just to make sure that they have controls in place that allow us to continue fulfilling 
the duties of the office and to be efficient and effective for the operations of ORS. So it's a long way of telling you we are very aware that there is a need. Uh, I, I think for us to give a timeline, um, I would hate to stick to a timeline that we cannot meet. So we just want to make sure that we are aware that we need to complete this as quickly as possible. And within that understanding, we have to be diligent about it. So I, I hope that that's enough of an explanation, but I, I mean, I can't, so I can't really commit to a timeline. So, so here's, here's what I would say. I would say that we would be able to commit to a timeline to determine which city policies that we will more than, more than likely adopt for the remaining mm -hmm. uh, tranche. Yeah. That, that we can provide a timeline. Now, there are more um, complicated issues, for example, around travel, procurement, contracting, right. where we do need to meet and confer with the city. We do need to work together because we do use their finance department. And so I can't commit, you know, singularly, like we will have this policy done because we do need the city's input as well on a number of these existing more complicated policies. That's why my hesitation, I broke the question out in two. One is whether you were um, asking about the timeline of our review of the policies that we would, you know, more or less adopt with slight tweaks versus, you know, getting all the policies in place. Because that, that latter part is not s solely the board's. Right. Um, jurisdiction it also involves the city as well so that's why my head I had a hesitation in the second part of my question to back to you and I would just add um, to that I think that the governance committee's plan or goal is to have things wrapped up by April but to your point you know we have other parties in here that we're yeah. gonna right. have to negotiate with right but I think we'll be meeting jointly Yes. To hammer this out for yeah, and there's certain yeah. areas where I do believe there, you know, the the law, the the municipal municipal code is a little gray, and so um, I do think it would be incumbent on us to initiate a conversation with the city attorney's office to figure out if we can get, like, for example, an MOU or a memorandum of understanding on these gray areas Good and idea. how we can work through them. And once we've gotten that done, we can also integrate that with our policies that we do bring before the board because we can't, you know, push something on on the city if it doesn't work with their processes. Yeah, thank you for the background. Sure. Uh, my, my request would be that we bring this item, um, even as a part of the governance committee, uh, to update the board on the progress, yeah. given the fact that we don't have a timeline, mm -hmm. yeah. so that we know, you know where are we are, we reviewed everything. Uh, what is the progress on the specific mm -hmm. policies that we are drafting? that would be helpful yeah I think that generally should be wrapped up within the the um, chair of the government's committee's updates at the, mm -hmm. uh, the monthly meetings yeah, yeah. to, to that we, to that end do you anticipate so January 29th that's after our next board meeting correct uh, so for the following board meeting do you think we would have a partial recommendation on those policies we have either adopted or proposing recommending to adopt that are different those that are accepted to be the same as the city and that third category still under review um i have to you know it's with the holidays and i'm mm -hmm. looking through my own schedule here um mm -hmm. i believe that at the next meeting what we can put before the committee mm -hmm. for review and again the joint governance mm -hmm. committee may have additional edits to it so mm -hmm. we may have to come back at another joint governance committee but we can at least provide you the update but right. the materials and topics that are going to be put before the joint <coughs> governance committee is as follows the, the contracting and procurement policy mm -hmm. um, as well as a travel right. policy for the board yeah, no, as I'm well as the employment ones. I'm just wondering if we would entertain a partial recommendation after most 
part of the work is done, or we're going to wait till the entire process is complete? No, it will be on a rolling basis. So okay. whatever. So for example, as you see here mm -hmm. in the governance committee section yep. of the agenda, mm -hmm. anything that the governance committee has approved mm -hmm. then shows up on our in our Folsom board mm -hmm. agenda. For example, discussion action item on seven point three C. Mm -hmm. Again, that that this is essentially lifting what the governance committee agenda is to right. put before the board because the board the committee can only recommend. Mm -hmm, the sure. boards are the ones with the authority to adopt. Mm -hmm. And so that's why everything that's discussed at the governance committee will be brought before the board okay. on a rolling basis. Yeah. yeah. The, the only meeting that that will not happen will be the next one because the committee meets after. But after that, right. we will keep the board apprised. And, and that's exactly the process that I explained to the city council, which is the reason why I didn't commit to a day because I realized between committee meetings and coming back to both boards to be approved, I couldn't really go to the city council until everything is approved. So it takes time for these public meetings to take place. Mm -hmm. But to your point, we will keep the boards apprised at every meeting, except for the next one, because the governance committee don't meet until after the meeting. But after that, we will always have a, a discussion item for the boards to consider. Right, and I think I believe the reason why we had to wait so long for the January meeting just by context is we had a lack of quorum. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any further discussions on the motion, which is still on the floor? Uh, any public comment on the motion? So hearing none, we'll vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. And I vote aye as well. So the work plan is adopted. Now we are on to item 73D. So uh, that, that, that was generally wrapped up in my previous comments. Is so that, that, right? that applies here. Okay, so it was merely a discussion of the travel policy. Okay, then we're moving on to 7-4 Disability Committee. Uh, is there an all update from the chair? Yes, um, we've been busily meeting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you've been seeing some of the action on the uh, agenda, particularly today. Mm -hmm. We anticipate potentially three cases that we'll be uh, hmm. working on in our January meeting. Okay. Uh, but we're trying to uh, work closely with the staff to get applications in front of us, people communicated with, and those kinds of things. Um, so okay. that's, hopefully this will help the board as a whole. Absolutely, uh, working so. through the backlog. All right, so we'll receive and file the minutes. Uh, 75C, Joint Personal Committee. I note on the agenda that uh, uh, Trustee Jennings has been replaced by Trustee Linder, and that needs to be reflected in the agenda listing. Right. Our co-chair, Mr. Chandra, is not here for an oral update, but we will meet tomorrow, uh, and we will be considering... Uh, uh, the very important work of hiring a, an executive search firm. That's correct. And I can give a brief update, if, if I may. Please. So at the, at the last JPC committee, the committee meeting, the JPC had appointed an ad hoc committee to help the JPC and the boards uh, do their executive search mm -hmm. RFP to, to select a firm. We did have three bids submitted. Um, mm -hmm. We will be discussing those bids tomorrow. Um, so that, that's the scope of the meeting for tomorrow. And then, it, it, I'm sorry, one more issue for tomorrow is also we are coming back to the JPC with recommendations on how to deal with issues where there's disagreements between the boards on issues of hiring, termination, discipline, compensation, performance evaluations, and other, miscellaneous other, for example, mm -hmm. waiver of confidentiality. 
issues. Um, so those are all going to be brought to the board tomorrow, or the, I'm sorry, the joint uh, personnel committee mm -hmm. tomorrow to, to consider for adoption. And once that's been adopted by mm -hmm. the JPC, that would then come before your board for consideration and adoption. Great, thank you. Uh, so there are no minutes to accept. Uh, item eight, agenda and training. You all have the various uh, training opportunities. I guess the General Assembly for Calipers is coming up down in Rancher Mirage. Always a popular event. I will uh, note that that's my birthday, so if anyone's there. Well, okay. <laughs> will, you, will you be uh, there? I will, I will be there. Okay, so you're celebrating your birthday, hanging out with uh, pension trustees. Well, you know, oftentimes I'm called to be a speaker there, so okay. I have that to go. That could be a motivating factor. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We'll love to see you there. Um, any proposed agenda items? Hearing none, this meeting is adjourned.